you have been called. Before the foundations of the earth, you were chosen by the Father to be adopted through the Son and sealed with the Holy Spirit. So now you can be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We've been called the battle church. You see, you don't wrestle anymore against flesh and blood, but now it's against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places called. We've been called to put on the whole armor of God. And so let us fasten on the belt of truth. Let us put on the breastplate of righteousness. On our feet, let us put on the shoes of preparation, the gospel of peace itself. Let us take up the shield of faith and put on the helmet of salvation. And may we bear the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You have been called. We have been called. Let us forever stand firm in this truth. We have been called. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you today. Uh, my name is Pastor Jared. For those uh, that don't know me, welcome to our Myerstown campus. Uh, it was a blessing to be with y'all last week. Join us online. Maybe you're sick, vacation, whatever it may be, you're far away. Good to have you joining us uh, as well. And uh, for those that don't know me, uh, I have a, a couple uh, roles here uh, through my years of, of working and um, uh, I oversee our, our mission kids. I'm so blessed to be able to see uh, so many kids have come through and just even hearing testimonies at Camp Rock, like what an amazing, uh, what an amazing priority our church makes for our kids here. And um, I feel so blessed to be able to just get a, get a closer view of that. I oversee some of our uh, adult discipleship classes, a little plug because here in the next week or two, you're going to hear some of our classes uh, coming out uh, that just is equipping you for some specific skills, whether it's leadership or just life development. Um, but uh, what tends to be what I'm most known for around here is working with our teenagers and with our students. Um, I started uh, 10 years ago. Uh, if, uh, if you saw a picture of me, um, my hair was a little less shiny then. And, um, but I was about 30 years old when I started. I, I, at that point, had already been married eight years, three kids, uh, my youngest being six months. Um, and uh, so I was in a different stage of life when I came on uh, to lead uh, in our student ministry world. One thing that I've known, even though working with, uh, with teenagers for over 20 years, uh, it's not always about the age. I know that sometimes people think that, but it's about how well you connect with them. If you connect with them, you have an open door for influence. This is true of many people, but particularly teenagers are just looking for an authentic uh, connection and relationship. And uh, for me, you know, to connect with teenagers, I was in a hard stage. I didn't know what was the latest on TV. I mean, unless my students were watching Sesame Street or whatever was on PBS Kids, um, I didn't have quite that in there. Uh, the music that we were playing when we were driving wasn't what the students were listening to. It was all the kids' cookie break and all the other uh, songs that, you know, still I'm trying to, you know, get out of my memory at this point. I didn't have a lot of like ins. I hadn't played video games in, I don't know, years at that point. And so I didn't have too many ins. But then uh, one day I did have some students say, hey, Pastor Jared, would you be interested in playing some airsoft with us? I was like, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you guys are asking me, I'm feeling pretty honored. I don't exactly know what it is. And they said, it's kind of, I was like, isn't that like paintball? They're like, 
yeah, I, I have some airsoft people in here, so they're probably going to be offended that there was even just like a connection. I don't know. Um, but uh, but the, uh, they said, yeah, why don't you play? You want to play with us? I said, sure. So I show up at the appointed time to uh, play airsoft. And uh, when, when I show up, there's some people in gear that I noticed. And I was like, what's the, what's the deal with that? And they said, well, you know, like, it's just, you know, protects us from getting hit. And I'm like, I mean, this is called airsoft, right? Like, those are two really, really easy words, like airsoft. Like, what am I getting myself into? And I'm like, no, nah, I think I'm good, you know? It's like, if I'm, if I'm going to connect with you, I got to, like, make sure that, like, I can, like, still one-up y'all. So, um, so I, uh, I get my gun, and uh, we start playing, and uh, what looked to be uh, harmless pellets, um, you know, first shot, I feel something stinging on me, and, I, and a, an unrighteous anger uh, came about in me, and I start chasing some 12-year-olds around, wanting to give, inflict the same kind of pain, but of course, they were wearing their armor, and I was not. Well, you know, if you've ever been around... Uh, especially dudes for some reason, whenever it's like post paintball, post airsoft, we're all showing our welts that we got. Like, dude, check this out. You know, I don't know why. But uh, I was, uh, I had the distinction of having more than anyone else uh, when it came to that. And I learned a valuable lesson today. Don't turn down your armor. Don't be dumb and turn down your armor. It's a lesson learned and uh, I have taken that lesson with me in other places, uh, but uh, particularly you know, we have a tendency to get a little full of ourselves, a little prideful, a little overconfident. And I'd encourage you today, don't turn down the armor. And I yet think about it as Christians. Isn't that so true? We're called to humbly submit ourselves to Christ, and this is putting on the armor. And that's why this series in Ephesians that we've entitled Called is so important for us. It's, it's what we're called to and then actually how to live it out. We're called to something greater, which is God's kingdom. We're called to be something, do something, called to live out something. And he's offering us the power to do it. He just doesn't tell us, but he actually empowers us to do these things. And, and last week, Pastor Jerry introduced how this was divided up to a simple sit, walk, stand this makes sense, right? We, we start by, by sitting, and, and particularly he was talking about, and we've talked about, is sitting in the chair, that we spend our time with the Lord. It's so easy just to fill our schedule up and start running and say, look, if I put it on the schedule, I, I have it all figured out. But to be able to pause and be able to say, I need to sit in the chair. At one point, I sat in the chair and confessed my my sins to Christ and, and became a believer. I was a young child then. I was literally sitting on my bunk bed. And then we're called to continue to sit, to come before the Lord, to remember that time of salvation. And we sit, and of course we don't just stay here, but we need to walk that out. That's part of being sent. Remember, we're loved, and now we're being sent. And so we need to walk that out. But it's not easy to always... Walk that out because the devil's ready to pounce at any point as soon as we're walking. And that's why this section of standing firm is so important. I mean, think about it. Think, think of a young child. Uh, the first step and what you feel like is a momentous occasion is when they can sit on their own. You're like, all right, we've made some progress here. They're not laying, you know, putting their face on the carpet or the hardwood floor or whatever. You know, now they are sitting up above the ground. 
And then a next step, you would think that it's standing, but from my, from my experience as a parent, it wasn't necessarily standing. It was kind of like you put the child on their feet, they were super wobbly, and they took about two or three steps and fell into the next parent's arm. They couldn't stand quite yet. They would kind of wobble for, you know, I wouldn't call it standing, wobble and go straight down. Or they would fall into the parent's arm. But you know you arrived and you knew what you needed to baby-proof once you actually had them walk and they could stop on their own and stand. And the forces of nature weren't going to take them down. And so that's why, as we're talking about, particularly in this section of Paul's letter, we're talking about standing firm. That yes, we are loved and we spent time in the chair and we continue to go back to the chair, but then we walk it out and then we have to realize that we're going to be attacked and we need to stand firm in Christ. Because let's be honest, the Christian life is hard. If anyone told you it was going to be easy, man, that was just a sales ploy. But it is hard to walk it out in many ways. Uh, We are equipped for it, so I don't want to make it sound like it is not impossible. But think about how Paul, what Paul has just written about. After reminding us of our identity, that we are saved by grace, not through our works, praise the Lord, because I know that in those tendencies, and I have a tendency then uh, to forget about that and want to, by my own good works, come closer to the Lord. But by grace we're saved, and then he wants us to live it out for good works. But Paul was just sharing hard things, forgiving one another. That's hard, kind, tender-hearted. It says things like not letting the sun go down on your anger. Sometimes I don't want to do these things. He continued to go on and say, sacrificing and submitting to one another, imitating God, submitting to the Spirit, He shares how uh, there's a role for the church and not just the structure and order, but it actually depicts a relationship with Jesus and his believers. And sometimes it'd just be easier to be shot with an airsoft gun than it is to walk out the Christian life. Yet we don't need to lose confidence because we're called, chosen by grace, and he has a plan for us. And so we can walk out our calling, yet we have to remember that we're in a real battle with a real enemy. It's, a spirit, it's in the spiritual realm. And our battle is against a powerful enemy, but we need to remember, and I know that we sang it today, it's an enemy who has already been pronounced defeated. It's Satan's fate has been sealed because Jesus made the way, and it tells us something just about just the, the focus of Satan and how he believes that, that evil, uh, that he can just disregard the power of God. And while he knows that he can't defeat Christ, he attacks the church. And so let's not be fooled. Let's put a wartime mentality into our minds. And so our war strategy of sit, walk, and stand is being evident at this point. Paul has a calling. If you remember each week why he wrote this, he said his calling was to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To preach to the Gentiles so that they could organize believers into communities who would then go out and organize more believers into communities. He did this throughout the Mediterranean. He walked out his calling. And if you study the book of Acts and through any of his letters, you know that He had to stand firm. He was stoned. He was run out of town. He was abandoned. Currently, he's writing from jail, and not to mention just the inner turmoil that he was vulnerable with in his letters. 
And so when he warns about the devil's schemes, he has some credibility. He's seen it firsthand. And so how do we do this? It's Jesus. It's nothing in our own power. It's Jesus. He's our defense. He equips us. He gives us the tools to live in a world with spiritual warfare. And so how do we understand something that just feels so spiritual and out there? They give us these, these physical examples to, to help us understand it. And what is our defense? Well, it's what the defense has been for centuries past and probably most likely centuries to come. It's our armor. And last week we introduced the first piece of armor, the belt of truth. Standing firm in God's truth and obeying truth. The belt of truth, it holds the armor together in one place. And so today, once our belt of truth is on, we look at another piece of armor, our breastplate of righteousness. This breastplate of righteousness. And so we're going to be talking today about living righteously and what that looks like and how we can put our armor on to defend against unrighteous living. We're going to be in Ephesians 6 today, of course. And we're going to look at our first point today is putting on the armor the breastplate of righteousness. So will you read along in Ephesians 6 with me, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Our focus today is putting on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to say breastplate a couple of times, and I'm probably going to mess it up, so you can apply some grace there already. <laughs> Why the breastplate? Well, the breastplate, it's a, it's a, it's a defense that, that covers the front and the back from the neck to the thigh, uh, required for military, not just in the present day, but uh, throughout the centuries of military warfare. In the, in specifically in this day, uh, you, uh, maybe the, the poor man's breastplate would have uh, included a linen uh, cloth that was over it with, with hard material, generally bones or hooves or something on it uh, to protect, do as much uh, protection in, in the midsection, the front and the back. If you were a little more uh, advanced or you were a Roman soldier, it would have been metal, typically bronze, maybe chain mail. Roman soldiers... Um, the weight of it could have been up to 70 pounds. So those of you that think you're tough and you can do a couple of squats, imagine uh, serving all day with a 70-pound uh, breastplate on. And of course, it wrapped around from the front to the back. The, the purpose of this was to protect your vital organs that were here, right in the midsection of your body, your heart, your lungs, your stomach, your liver, your intestines, your spleen, your bowels. It was often just known as the heart protector, Another feature that it had, it had loops on it in the, in the ancient um, breastplates uh, so that you would wrap the belt around it so it would stay in place. Otherwise, as you slip it over, it could shift around. And so, of course, as we talked about putting on the belt of truth first, there's, Paul was aware that you need to put your belt on to secure your breastplate. But let's make no mistake, the breastplate was vital equipment. And, and not just then, but now too. Have uh, some modern-day... 
chest protecting, heart protecting equipment for you, military issued. I have a friend who's in the military and uh, offered me this. He actually offered me two of them. He offered me one that uh, uh, without the steel plate in it or one with. And I was like, no, man, I need to go all out, you know, and I feel like I can flex a little bit as I'm doing this as well now. But, uh, but it's, uh, you know, they're designed for different things. This one is going to, uh, with a steel plate in it, approximately 20 pounds without the extra gear in it. It will stop... Anything from knife, handgun, rifle, shrapnel, anything that may uh, come to your uh, midsection will be stopped. Law enforcement, security, military, required issue here. I was reading um, the, uh, the inside of it in the tag, and it says here, survival armor. Specifically, this carrier itself has no protective qualities, but when you insert the panels, it will determine the ballistic or stab protection provided. Survival armor is what it's called. The breastplate is essential, not just for the military, but for our living. It's, it's preventing the, from the harm that may be around us. Ask any soldier on the battlefield. And we call it the breastplate of righteousness. Why a breastplate of righteousness? Well, our vital organs are protected so that we can live out the righteousness that is given to us through the work of Jesus. This isn't the first time uh, that this is mentioned. In fact, uh, in a messianic prophecy in Isaiah, Jesus, it says, will come as a warrior for his people. Isaiah 59, 17, it says that Jesus, he will put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So we need to remember that Jesus is our breastplate and he is our righteousness. Righteousness, this idea that keeps being talked about is this idea of right living. Righteousness, a condition that's acceptable to God. Righteousness comes at the time of salvation, and it means that we're now in right relationship with God. And because, because of God's holiness, God can only relate to those that are in right standing with Him. Another way to think about it is that it makes us acceptable. We, we pass the inspection that when He looks at us, that we pass the inspection that He sees Jesus in us. He doesn't see our sin anymore when we're right with Him. We get the idea of this when passing an inspection. You think about a new coworker comes into the office. You do an inspection. Are they wearing the right uh, clothes to work? Are they overdressed? Are they underdressed? How do they carry themselves? Are they overly confident? Are they, you know, are they, are they quiet? Are they too talkative? Did they bring the right donuts on the first day? I mean, those are important things that you're determining whether they pass your inspection. It happens every first date. How many people have an inspection checklist that they're wanting to know? In the end, you say, did they pass my inspection? And I'm sure, by the way, they're saying the same thing about you. Did you pass their inspection? Well, through Christ, we pass God's inspection. We meet his standard. Jesus makes us righteous through the work on the cross. And at the time of our salvation, when we recognized our sin and we give our sin to Christ and he covers over that, we are positionally righteous before God. We are moved from enemy to child. 
And we're given this armor of righteousness through this work of Jesus. Jesus' perfect life, he died sinless. The only one to ever do that, became, becoming the perfect sacrifice to provide this holy path to God. 2 Corinthians says it so well, 5.21, where he says, He made him who, know, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And so we just don't gain a new tool or skill. We gain a new identity. And through Jesus, we meet God's standard for relationship. We're, we're justified in God's eyes. This idea that I'm justified, that I'm looked at as if I had never sinned. That's why the term born again is thrown around. It's a, it's a new start. We start clean before God. And this righteousness that we have is imputed on us. It's, it's given to us at salvation. It becomes us. It's our identity that we are righteous. That's why it's always uh, visualized as a clothing. It's just clothed us and encompasses us. And so we receive the breastplate of righteousness when we repent of our sins, follow Christ, and, and his work on the cross is applied to our life. And when we're clothed in righteousness, we've been empowered to live out what is right and true. And yet it talks about putting on the breastplate of righteousness, this idea that we don't really lose it, but we forget that we have it on and we walk around life like we don't have the protection on. It's meant to protect us and wrap around us. And so with our breastplate of righteousness on, we still need to live out the reality that is true, to practice righteousness, to, to live out our righteousness. It's more than just a thought or a feeling to be righteous with God, but it should be something that consumes us that we begin to live it out. It's like uh, my wife, Jen. I, I can tell her that I love her. I made a commitment at the altar that I would love her uh, till death do us part. How does she know that? I mean, I can say, look, I made a commitment 19 years ago. I told you I loved you. That's not what it is. I, I, I show her this, that, that the reality of it, that it comes out in the life. I, I, my words would show it. My life, my priorities, my time would show my love to that. What is going on, on the inside is practiced on the outside. And when we're right with God, therefore we live right for God. Our words, our money, our time for God. And so as we seek out to live out our righteousness in the power of the Spirit, our positional righteousness that is true of us at the time of salvation only makes our practicing righteousness possible. If you begin to practice righteousness without your positional righteousness, it won't work. That's only self-righteousness. And so we need to practice it through the obedience to God's truth. And it should make sense that we live a righteous life if we have Jesus' righteousness in us. It wouldn't make sense that we've been given this righteousness, right standing before God, and then pursue a sinful life and just live how I always have lived. Righteousness and righteous living go together. 1 John 3, 7, it says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And so putting on the armor reminds us to ask God for strength, to help me say no to sin and yes to righteous living. And so we are righteous and equipped to live out a righteous life because of Jesus, who is our breastplate. And while we have to establish that truth first, 
The fact is that we still need to protect our vital organs because as soon as we leave the chair and can say, you know what, I get that, I, I know that, I believe that truth, Satan, our adversary, is ready to attack. He's ready to pounce. He's ready to seek someone to devour. And so how do we withstand the attack even if we believe that we are righteous before God? And so our second point, we're going to talk about how to withstand the attack. Our breastplate will protect our vital organs, but if we're not living righteous life, the devil will have an opportunity to take us down. Satan, like any enemy, will try to attack us where, where it hurts the most and does the most damage. A breastplate protecting our front and our back from our neck to our thighs, it protects many vital organs, but there's two organs in particular that, that was in mind with this. The first one that the breastplate was protecting was our heart. Now, you've got to remember, uh, the people writing at this time didn't quite have the understanding of physiology as we, as we have today, and let's be honest, we won't have the understanding of physiology as people look back on us on this day as well. But the heart, of course, was protected that represented our internal processes that, that led to our behaviors, uh, our motivations, our love, our desires. It's, it's where our actions and words come from. The heart controls so much of our behavior. You know, what consumes our heart is what moves us with our words, our actions. You know, you talk about um, being in love, this idea that we're motivated by or desire love, and, this, and when we're blinded by love and the crazy things you do for love. If joy is what is consuming your heart, Joy in the Lord will bring peace when you're in the trial. You want to see why somebody can walk through a trial? Because they've been consumed by the joy in their heart. But as you know, it can also go another way too. Anger that may be in there affects the way that we view people and treat people, that they're an enemy, that we have to make things right on our own. Maybe there's fear in there. And how does that show in our behavior? That it holds us back from doing something or saying something. Or sometimes, in my case, doing too much or saying too much in a fearful situation. The heart has transforming power. This is why we talk about, we ask Jesus into our hearts. Just a metaphor for saying that Jesus consumes us and then transforms our behavior. Scripture emphasizes this and it talks about paying attention to your heart. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Good or bad, what is in there will come out. Luke 6, 45, Jesus said, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So the breastplate of righteousness protects our heart. That's where Satan is going after, our motivations, our desires, our loves. But it also protects something else. It protects, how do I say, our bowels. Now, if I had any middle schoolers here, I know that they said, did he just say bowels in a message? All right, I'm listening. But you talk about our bowels or our gut, like our, our gut, you know, like our, uh, where, where like these, these feelings come from. They would have understood in that day that this is, the, this is the seed of your emotions and your feelings. We know this, right? Like these deep feelings that you can't always explain. I have a gut feeling about this. You don't really always can rationalize why you have these thoughts, but you just have just this gut feeling. This is where the butterflies in your stomach come from. The idea of your, the bowels is like the deepest part of something. 
We have gut feelings. Could be right or wrong. The clock still says July, but it's going to be August soon. And students, you know what that means. The first day of school is looming. I know many of you can remember those days, the butterflies you had, good or bad, whatever it may have been, were there. Christmas is coming. will cause butterflies to people. Roller coasters, and that could be the whole process. You're standing in line watching the people scream or come back and their hair is all messed up. And I've had kids with me that like have freaked out just even in line. Then you start clicking up the thing. You got a gut feeling there. You start going down the thing. Now your gut feeling's up actually above your head. So you've got all these things. But what is he saying here is that you're, you have emotions there and feelings. It's hard to explain. You just experience it. Webster in his 1828 defi- uh, definition, he said the seat... He defined as the seat of pity or kindness, hence tenderness and compassion. These deep-seated emotions of kindness and compassion, this is where it comes from. It's not always a logical thing. It's, it's a deeper thing than that. A shout-out to my KJV people here in Colossians 3.12. It even says in this version, it says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, the bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. You see, a true opponent is going to attack you in your weakness. The devil is going to find the vulnerable areas to attack. And here, our heart and our guts, our emotions and our feelings and our desires. You talk to any law enforcement, military personnel, personnel, even hunter, anybody that's been trained uh, to fire a weapon, where do they aim? They call it center mass. They aim for center mass. The vital organs that are there. It's also the immovable parts. You can move the extremities out of the way. The center mass they call the kill shot, the, the, the fatal shot. The devil is aiming for center mass on us. He wants to take us down. Satan wants to attack our most vulnerable places, our heart and our gut, our, our motivations and our emotions. Because Satan's ultimate goal is for us to sin. He wants us to distance ourselves between us and a holy God. Right? In John 10, it says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, Satan can't make us sin, but he can try to steal, kill, and destroy through attacking us. And so how does he attack us? I just want to highlight three ways that he can attack us. He tempts us. He accuses us, and he steals from us. He tempts us. Satan is a tempter. James 1 makes it clear that God does not tempt. It's only evil. And so how does he tempt us? Satan wants us to get used to sin. He hits us at center mass to take us down through tempting us away from righteous living. Satan will use our weaknesses to lead our hearts and our motion away from God. So don't be surprised when, when, you, when a situation enters your path that Satan's been tempting you with. I don't know what it is for you. Is it, is it insecurity? Well, he, he's going to put, if, there's, if you struggle with insecurity, he's going to put someone in your path that will make you feel secure. I recognize that this week I was getting ready to preach and and. There was plenty of temptations of feeling insecure. Oh, Jared, you don't have enough jokes in there. You know, it's not going to be funny enough. Uh, you know, like, man, you're following Pastor Jerry. He, like, 
He's an amazing preacher. He's the guy that's mentored you, and you got to follow him. We just have, I mean, you could, you don't know enough about this. You got one verse to preach on. You got a time block to fill. I mean, whatever Satan wants to put before you, he's going to tempt you with it. And so maybe it's insecurities that maybe something that is that you struggle with, and Satan will see that and take aim at that. Maybe it's materialism that has consumed you or has been a struggle in your heart. You can be sure that he's going to make sure that the algorithms match up. If you ever wondered if algorithms are evil, you know that it's attack from the devil, that the ads are going to be put in front of you even this week. Maybe your struggle is lust. He's going to give you opportunities to look out there on your phone, wherever it may be. Maybe anger is in your heart. If that's the case... Be ready, a coworker's going to drop the ball on something this week. Is it laziness that you struggle with? You better be sure that somebody is going to be telling you about the latest bingeable series that's out there. Is it control? Watch out, it's going to give you a situation where you think you're out of control so you can find some place to grab control. Is it your desire to be the center of attention? That's a struggle in your heart. Satan's going to tempt you with that by having someone achieve something in front of you or say something funnier than you or become more popular than you. Did I cover enough? No one's safe in this room, right? And you know that even Jesus was in these tempting situations. Satan tried to tempt him with power and influence. He tempts us through lying to our heart and our gut about our situation. He says things like, hey, no one will ever know. It's not a big deal. Maybe he lies about this and he tempts you saying things like, the consequences won't be that bad. Hey, God's going to forgive you anyway if you sin, so why not? And of course, we know that he says, did God really say fill in the blank? Does God really care about you? He wants to elicit unrighteous emotions and thinking in us. Satan wants us to be angry and in despair and doubting. And while these can be righteous expressions, Satan wants to turn them into pride-filled responses. He wants to fill our minds with untruth and half-truth. He wants us to tolerate sin. He wants us to say things like, you know, the Bible's outdated. You know, there's no immediate consequences, so maybe it's okay Going back to Genesis 3, surely you won't die. He wants to sear our conscience, confuse our emotions, and draw our affections to the wrong thing. He wants to replace the word of God with the words from the world. He wants us to tolerate disobedience. He wants us to laugh at sin. He wants us to rationalize sin instead of obeying and mourning sin and confessing our sin. Satan's a liar and he's going to tempt you. And if you give in, you know what happens next. He doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just allow you to give in to the temptation. He accuses you. He accuses you because Satan is an accuser. He turns the situation that he led you in and then accuses you in a way of attacking your vital organs. He's going to call you names. He's going to say things like, see, you're weak. Your faith is weak. You're a fake. You're a hypocrite, he'll tell you. You call yourself a Christian, accusing you of things. What if people really knew what you were really like? You messed up again, you may say. 
You said last time was going to be the last time that you would fall for that. And we feel the weight of guilt when we're accused. And the guilt isn't necessarily a bad thing because it can be a conviction or an accusation. But Satan wants to turn that into an accusation. How did I know when I was tempted to have the thoughts, accusation, or listen to the insecurities of preaching in front of you? I had to remember the truth that, that, was, that, the God is, that I've been taught through God's word, that God's word doesn't return void. I was like, I remember story, reading stories of guys planting churches in China where they would just read, they only had one page of the Bible, they just read God's word and people would come to know Christ. I was like, it's not me anyway. I know that God chose this moment. I can look back and see that he had things coming along uh, for me, that, that for this moment, it, it's like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. I know that when I was sitting in a room preparing this message and, and reviewing it uh, on Friday, that I had godly people speaking into a message, saying like, just building confidence into it, saying, yeah, you're in line with God's word. And so if you see that you're out of step, that like, we believe that like you're in line with God's word. And so there's things that you can get accused of these things where you can say, all right, Lord, I'm going to give this to you. And so he attempts he tempts us, he accuses us, and then he heaps the guilt on us. And how do you know if it's a conviction or accusation? Well, as we were talking in our service review, uh, a, a great quote that came out of there, we were just uh, kind of processing through it, and we were talking about how, how a, a conviction is like a surgeon. They have a knife, and they're going after something specific in you. The Holy Spirit is targeting a specific sin in you that wants to surface, you know, maybe something like, I had, if I had an argument last night with my kids or a friend or wife, that, that argument last night, that I was showing pride by, because I wanted to win the argument and not actually communicate through that. Or maybe it was a conviction when I had a bit of, you know, like honking the horn, yelling at the person that cut me off. And that... The conviction will target the saying, you acted in anger in that situation. But an accusation is different. It will target your whole being. It wouldn't just say, you wanted to win that argument, you were prideful in the situation. It will say, you're a prideful person. You don't know how to communicate. Maybe it's the traffic person that says, you're just an angry person. If people knew who you really were, those are the accusations that he Satan will lay on us. And so listening to the accusations will lead us to behaviors that move us away from Christ. This is where Satan's able to steal from us. He calls us names. No one likes you. You're unlovable. You don't fit in. And he steals then our security away. He steals our confidence. He steals our joy. He steals our fruitfulness and if we allow Satan to steal, kill, and destroy, we will make decisions that will push us further away from God and the church. And then we tend to either do one of two things. We tend to either continue to run away from God and the church, or we're going to create a pathway back to God in our own strength which is exactly what Satan wants us to do. Sure, I want you to feel like you're getting close to God, so create your own way of being righteous in yourself. Justify your behaviors to tell God, I'm going to do these things so that you can be happy with me again. And in reality, we're only hurting ourselves more. 
Satan knows these vulnerable areas. And he knows we desire to be in right standing with God, and yet he will twist that and move us away because he wants the sin to block our relationship with God and move away. And so what do we do in these moments? His temptation is coming. The accusations will be there. What do we do in these? How do we respond to sin? How do we live with the breastplate of righteousness on? It's repentance. It's what brought us into a relationship with God, and it's what continues to maintain our relationship with God. Not maintain like we'd ever lose it, but maintain that, that relationship that, that we so need in our life. And so we need to actually utilize the breastplate, and we need to stand firm in righteousness. Our third point here, looking at, so we're standing firm in righteousness. How do we stand firm? How do we put on the breastplate? We're going to confess our sin we're going to cling to Christ, and we're going to commit to righteousness. By putting on the breastplate of righteousness, we're walking out righteousness that has already been given to us, so it means that we need to confess our sin. John wrote that if we confess our sin, he is faithful. This means he is always faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, Jesus didn't come to help us manage the sin that's in our life. He came to give me victory over my sin. And our confession and repentance of sin agrees with the unrighteous ways that we were living and brings us into a place that we understand our right living. Confession reminds us that God is the only one that cleanses us from unrighteousness. It helps us to remind us that we are in right standing with God when we confess our sins. And maybe that's what you need to do today is say, I know it's in there. I just thought I've confessed too many times, but he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from the unrighteousness in our life. We confess our sins and we need to cling to Christ, that we rely on him and that we, that we stay close to him. In James 4, it says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We don't have the strength in our own to resist the devil, but submitting ourselves to God, and the devil will flee. I need to remember that when I sin, that I'm clothed in righteousness. The sin that makes us feel so dirty and unrighteous, and we need to remember that Christ already hung on the cross for that sin. He bore the weight of that sin that you are feeling. He took that on. And so when we feel that, my standing with God actually has not changed at all because Christ has taken that at the cross. He's already paid for it. We need to cling to Christ in those moments. Many times that, that takes place to going back to the chair and sitting here and saying, Lord, I need to confess to you, and I, and I want to cling to you as well. Lord, I need to cling to you, and I know that as soon as I get up, it's going to be difficult, but I want to commit to righteousness, and so we need to commit to a righteous way so that when we get up and we start to walk, that we're able to stand firm when the temptations come. that we're to commit to righteousness, that our breastplate of righteousness will help us to remember that is to help us to walk this out. 
and to stand firm in the attacks. Matthew 6, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If this is the part in the message where you say, this is where he's going to tell us to obey God's word, you're right. But there's no plan B with this. That he's given us a book, it's not a textbook that we read for some quiz, but that there is power in it, that it's alive, and by reading it, it transforms our hearts. And so to commit to a righteous living is to take what is taught from us, the Holy Spirit, and plants that in our hearts, and we're able to stand firm. You commit to yourself to obeying God's word. It's not a commitment that says, if I read this, then you will. Saying, God, I just know that to have relationship with you, this is, this is an overflow of that relationship. Believing that I'm righteous and that I can live out a right life means that this is what it looks like. And then share that with others to be held accountable so that you don't do this alone. So many times we think of, of this and think of it as a solo pursuit, but you don't see war where people are doing it by themselves. They're doing it together. They have an individual task and pursuit, but they do it in unity. And so we need to be aware that the devil's schemes are at play. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and he was talking about in, in the war zones, in particularly very hot war zones, that, uh, that they don't just, that our military personnel don't, do not just wear um, their, uh, their breastplate when they're in conflict, in direct conflict, but they would wear it any time within the base, uh, whether they're going to the mess hall, whether they're going to the gym, walking around the base, and even sleeping. I'm thinking about sleeping in a 20-pound vest because you never know when the enemy will attack. You never know when shrapnel is coming. I just love thinking about the, the mentality that our, that our men and women have over there to continue to wear the breastplate. Now we can take that. We can live in this wartime mentality to keep our breastplate on. We can walk it out in confidence, of course, because Satan is going to take aim. He's going to take aim at our heart and our emotions. He's going to tempt us and accuse us and manipulate us. It's what he's done. It's what he will continue to do. But he's already been defeated. With our breastplate on, our heart is protected. I know for me, I have to go before the Lord daily, ask the Lord what David prayed, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, renew a right spirit in me. So are you battling temptation today? Are you carrying an accusation of guilt with you? The armor's still on. If you've come to know Christ, the armor's still on. You can call upon the Lord and His strength. You can, you can remove the obstacle that you've placed in front of it by confessing your sin and clinging to him. And if you are already in a personal relationship with Christ, then you're already clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You know, if you've not made that commitment to Christ... You've been fighting a, a battle of willpower, of self-righteousness. He can make you righteous. No one's too far from God. Because we can adorn God's glory. It's what we're called to do. To remember that we're loved and that when we're sent, that we're doing this not for our own resume, not for anything else that's going to get us ahead, but for the glory of God. And we adorn God's glory when we wear the armor 
particularly here, the breastplate of righteousness. So Father, we come before you today, Lord. Lord, just ready to receive what the Holy Spirit is ready to teach us. Father, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can live this out. There's not a power in our own strength, Lord. And so I just pray, Lord, for those of us that just need to take that step of confession, Lord, I pray that today that we remember that you are just to forgive us. Lord, that clinging to you means that we just remember that you've taken on the sins uh, that we are being accused of, Lord, that that is not our identity. So, Lord, that we can walk out a life that is bringing you the glory. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for him being the one that stands in front of us and so that you see the righteousness of Jesus in us. In Jesus' name we pray.